Welcome to Bee's Estrogen Empire. The Estrogen Empire is a brand new series focused on breaking down various topics in women's health. It's time for us to create an empire of women who are informed and assertive and can advocate for their health and the health of women around the world. I'm Bee, the host of Bee's Estrogen Empire, and I'm very privileged to have a voice and feel confident enough to discuss these topics. I would like to take a moment to recognize that not all women have female anatomy, and not all female anatomy classifies someone as a woman. The Empire will use evidence-based information to guide topics and discussions. All references will be included in the show notes, and I'm so excited that you're here to join the Estrogen Empire and the movement that we are about to create. Welcome along. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast. I'm Bee, the host of the Crazy Beautiful Life, and as you can tell by the title of this episode and by the introduction, this week's episode is another dedicated estrogen empire topic. I'm so incredibly pleased with all the feedback I received on Instagram after the first episode went live. You guys seem to really be enjoying these episodes. And as you know, um, the Estrogen Empire series is part of a school project for me for my women's health class. So your support and love and feedback is paramount to sort of driving my passion and keeping me going working on this project during this completely crazy, crazy time in the world. Also, we've gained a few more members to the Facebook group um, since the last episode went live. So thank you so much for that. I love that we are establishing this community of women who are coming together, supporting each other, sharing our experiences, and engaging in conversations with um, other women that they've never met before. I actually love it, and it's, it's just really heartwarming to see. I did a poll on my Instagram stories. If you don't follow me on Instagram, it's at bee.spiers. It's at b.spears. If you want additional Estrogen Empire content, I have a highlight on my Instagram feed where I've been posting different um, feminist quotes and uh, women's health-based graphics and designs and artwork. Um, And I also have been doing polls on there to see what you guys are interested in interested in. So a lot of you guys seem to be super interested in learning about endometriosis. And one of my followers actually sent me a message and let me know that March is endometriosis awareness month. I didn't even know that. So thank you so much to my follower um, who sent me that message. That's really cool. So it just seemed really suitable and really fitting to dedicate this week's episode to endometriosis because it's endometriosis awareness month and because so many of y'all were interested in learning about it. I'm sure we've maybe heard of the term endometriosis here or there, but do any of us actually know what it is? Do any of us know someone who maybe has endometriosis? Do you know what it involves? Do you know who it affects? Do you know how it affects them? Do you know if our doctors are educated in this? If you don't think they're educated in this, do you know why? Today, we are going to unpack the topic of endometriosis and address the many question marks that reside within it. We're going to address both the biophysical implications, psychological disturbances, and sociological perspectives regarding the illness, and then come up with some practical solutions or recommendations to help sort of address some of the issues um, that we're going to unpack. Something I want to mention is that endometriosis is an extremely complex condition and it affects a lot of different organs, a lot of different systems and biological processes. It affects the mind in very different ways, the psyche, um, self, sense of self, self-confidence, identity, and a lot of different things. I know that endometriosis can also cause a lot of troubles in the workplace. It can cause a lot of troubles with relationships. Um, And I just sort of want to outline that I only have an hour to talk about all of these things. So I'm just sort of touching upon a little bit of each topic along the way. But I do want to outline and recognize that there are a lot of things going on with endometriosis and I couldn't possibly pack them into a one hour episode if I tried. I personally feel like endometriosis could be an entire course, a few months long. There is an extensive um, uh, 
amount of research. For example, if you go on PubMed and you search endometriosis, you will get 27,000 results. Um, And these, all of these pieces of literature almost have been developed within the last 20 years. So there is a lot going on with endometriosis. There's a lot of different things that affects people, that it affects risk factors, comorbidities, different cultural acceptances or cultural suppressions and oppressions and things like that. And I couldn't possibly address all of this in one episode. So I do recognize that there are a lot of things that I have to leave out with this episode. And I hope that that doesn't offend anyone with endometriosis or hurt anyone in the process. But I do want to touch upon a lot of different things so that the general public can have a wee bit better of an understanding of endometriosis. So let's get into it. Endometriosis is defined as an inflammatory disease characterized by ectopic endometrial glands in stroma, which are accompanied by fibroids. And that is from the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Melbourne. Medical jargon is great when you understand it, right? But what if everything I just told you sounded like a complete foreign language? I know a lot of my listeners are within the faculty of kinesiology. A lot of my friends are in various healthcare professions, such as nursing, biotechnology, laboratory tech, um, and other healthcare professions. So I know that a lot of my friends and a lot of my listeners will understand this. But there's also some of my listeners who might not. And the general public definitely can't understand what I just said. So let's unpack this. Inside of the uterus, we have this thing called an endometrium, which is a mucous membrane that sort of lines the inner walls of the uterus. It thickens um, throughout our cycle to become an active site for an embryo or an egg to implant. Now, people with endometriosis will have the endometrium, this lining, grow ectopically. Ectopically means outside of the uterus. Typically in other areas of the pelvic floor, such as outside of the uterus or within the pelvic cavity on the bowels, diaphragm, pleural cavity, bladder, and more. This ectopic, outside of the uterus, endometrium, usually becomes very fibrotic, which means thick and extensible, hard, more like a connective tissue or what you may know as scar tissue. They can cause cysts, fibroids, and adhesions. Adhesions are when two different tissues bind are bound together by a structure. In this case, it would be the endometriosis. There are three types, um, three subtypes of endometriosis. The first one is superficial peritoneal lesions. And this endometriosis is the most common type of endometriosis, um, affecting up to around 80% of endometriosis patients. And both diagnosis and treatment of this type of endometriosis, as all types of endometriosis, are very up in the air. We think that we might be able to see it through laparoscopy, MRI, ultrasound, um, but the best way to determine endometriosis and superficial peritoneal lesions is via surgery. Second type of endometriosis is deep infiltrating lesions. Now, this just means that the lesions are deeper than five millimeters below the surface. So they are much deeper within the pelvic cavity, within the peritoneum, um, within the pelvic floor, and they're not as easily observable. These types of lesions are typically associated with severe pelvic pain, and if these lesions occur around the ovaries um, or along the fallopian tubes, they can cause infertility. The pain with deep infiltrating lesions is typically related to the location of the lesion. So if you have a lesion within the urinary tract, you'll experience pain with urination. If the lesion is in the vagina, then you'll experience painful sex. If it's in the bowels, you'll experience pain during bowel movements. It's really dependent on where it is and what it's affecting. Um, And it's, like I said, because it's so deep within the cavity, it's very hard to see. It's very hard to diagnose. And it's typically diagnosed during surgery. Cysts are something that we all may be a wee bit more familiar with. They usually contain blood and endometrium-like tissue, and they typically involve the ovaries and cause extreme inflammatory pain and discomfort, especially around the time of menstruation. 
Since we only have an hour to chat about everything endometriosis, we're going to group these three subtypes together and talk about them as a collective. Now, I know that these three subtypes can be very different and present very different symptoms, but we can't possibly break down all three of them within our limited time frame. Endometriosis typically causes dyspareunia, which if you remember from last week's episode, is just a really fancy word for painful sex. And endometriosis also causes extreme pain before, during, and after your period. Also causes pain with bladder and bowel movements, pelvic pain, and is often associated with infertility. Let's talk about these painful periods for a second. This is not a normal amount of quote unquote period pain. This is not normal. I hate that word because I think it's just normality as a social construct in itself. Um, But this is not normal period cramps. This is searing, stabbing, debilitating, nauseating pain. And it typically leaves people bedridden, unable to go to work, and it doesn't respond well to over-the-counter pain relief. Now, of course, this falls along a spectrum, as as most things do. (laughs) Some women report very mild pain, while others report moderate pain, and others report very, very severe pain. And all of these different spectrum uh, disorders present very unique findings um, because it's so hard to look at someone with mild period pain and attribute that to endometriosis. It's so easy to just be like, oh yeah, that's a normal thing. Um, And then other people with really severe pain. Some people experience really severe pelvic pain during their period and they don't have endometriosis. And some people experience really severe pelvic pain when they have their period and they do have endometriosis. So it's very hard to attribute these different findings to a pathological condition. We currently aren't sure what causes endometriosis, although although there has been some hypotheses to suggest that there is a genetic component that they have tested using twin studies. No specific gene has been linked. So while some studies outline that there may be a genetic factor, others suggest it's an autoimmune disease, others suggest it's related to past trauma and personal um, physical abuse and history. So as you can tell, we really aren't sure. At this time, we don't know what causes endometriosis. Endometriosis is the most common cause of pelvic pain and affects 10 to 15% of premenopausal women. If you don't know what premenopausal means, that just basically means women who are still having a period and haven't gone through menopause yet. However, due to underdiagnosis, lack of information and knowledge, it's likely that endometriosis affects many more women who may simply be unaware of it. There are tons of women out there who may have endometriosis and may have stabbing pain during their periods who have been told for years and years and years that this is normal and they don't even know they have endometriosis. It may be a mild form. Some women are asymptomatic. There's so many people out there who might have it. So I think the statistic of 10 to 15% is very misleading. Endometriosis has only really been a topic in health and health research for about the last 20 years, even though it was first hypothesized in 1899 and was mentioned in an ancient script as as an ovary-containing uterine mucosa. Currently, endometriosis is not part of the curriculum for many healthcare professions such as medicine, physiotherapy, naturopathy, to name a few. Secondly, endometriosis is not taught during both high school and elementary school sexual education in Ontario and likely many other places in the world. Why is that? If this condition affects so many women, why are we not informing women of the symptoms, effects, and implications? For example, a study conducted by Women's Hospital in Boston surveyed both men and women about endometriosis, and they found that only 69% of women were able to identify what endometriosis was and what the tissues that were impacted, whereas 39% of men were able to define what endometriosis was and what tissues that it impacted. This knowledge gap is critical is critical. This knowledge gap is prevalent in our medical setting as well as stories of endometriosis arise and outline that their pain and suffering was delegitimized for years and it took personal education and advocacy to demand practitioners partake in more extensive screening procedures. 
An inherent diagnosis delay has also been reported by women with endometriosis, as the average amount of physicians involved in a single diagnosis ranges from 3 to 11. There are many reasons why the ignorance regarding endometriosis is present, possibly because it is a taboo topic involving intimacy, sex, urination, menstruation, and possibly because it's an invisible condition, thereby delegitimizing its severity or presence altogether. Or possibly because the systemic assignment of what is normal female functioning that we discussed in the last episode. Today, we are going to take a deep dive into the literature and discuss the delayed diagnosis, lack of research, physician ignorance, and, and the delegitimization of the condition and its associated comorbidities. Many of our healthcare professionals currently do not take this condition seriously. Why? Possibly because its sufferers are women. In the later half of the episode, we will discuss what we can do as an empire to spread the message, share the knowledge, and build the empire. So let's talk about what's going on in the literature regarding endometriosis. Although I want this episode to be more geared towards the lived experience of endometriosis and the discourses which have been assigned to it, I do think it's important to give you guys a wee bit of information regarding the condition so you are informed and aware and know what to look out for in yourself, your friends, and your family. So first, let's talk about the symptoms. The most common symptom of endometriosis is chronic pelvic pain, as we mentioned before, specifically around the time of menstruation, but it doesn't only reside in this area and it isn't always cyclical. It can be found in, the pain can be found in the low back, the abdomen, and it's severe. As mentioned, it's typically described as a stabbing pain and is extremely nauseating. However, the, the pain can be associated Sorry, the pain associated with endometriosis is very nonspecific and can happen throughout the entire duration of a women's cycle. This is because these ectopic growths or adhesions or fibroids or cysts can grow anywhere within the pelvic cavity, sometimes in the bowels, making pooping painful, sometimes in the ovaries, causing pain during ovulation or hormonal changes, sometimes in the vagina, causing painful sex. There's no one location of this pain, and that can be really, really hard to attribute the symptoms to endometriosis when they can be sort of found all throughout the pelvic floor. 40% of women with endometriosis report deep dyspareunia, which, if you remember from last episode, is painful sex just a really fancy word for painful sex. I don't know why we have to say dyspareunia. We can just say painful sex. Um, but the source of this pain has been of particular interest. It makes sense that women with adhesions or cysts or fibroids within the vaginal canal would experience pain when they're having sex because there's, uh, there's rubbing, there's stretching, things are moving around, they're being stimulated. It would be very uncomfortable. Um, however, women without vaginal adhesions have also reported deep dyspareunia or painful sex. The recent literature has shown that deep dyspareunia is very commonly reported among women with endometriosis who are experiencing fertility issues or who are experiencing infertility. So when we think about this, someone who is experiencing infertility may deem sex as a stressful or triggering or challenging topic. And then they would get these spasmodic involuntary contractions of the vagina and its surrounding musculature, narrowing the canal, essentially creating vaginismus that we talked about in the last episode. So this sort of indicates that endometriosis has the potential to cause some psychological issues or psychological comorbidities that may affect other areas of the person's life. If you're very stressed about getting about getting pregnant and being infertile, then stress is, that stress can cause that spasmodic contraction, thereby making dyspareunia very prevalent in people who have endometriosis. Now, these are the common symptoms, but as I mentioned, endometriosis is a highly subjective condition and it can't just be diminished to a list of a few common symptoms or a few objective measures. 
This makes endometriosis incredibly unique as there are a laundry list of symptoms that one woman may experience and another woman may have a completely different laundry list of symptoms and they both might have endometriosis and even could have the same kind of endometriosis. Because endometriosis can present itself as an invisible condition and can sort of have all of these different lists of symptoms, it can be very, 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 very challenging to diagnose. When the lived experience of the illness described by the patient cannot be confirmed by the objective measures performed by the by the physician, the legitimacy of the illness is questioned. We see this in mental health. The lived experience cannot be defined by objective measures. Therefore, the presence or legitimacy of an ailment or pathology is up for grabs. It's just completely up in the air. It's questioned. This is when the theme of delegitimization proposed by Whalen 2007 begins. So let's just sort of put this into context, if you will. Imagine you have very, very, very severe pain in your leg. And this this pain comes once a month. It's extremely debilitating. You are bedridden and it's really, really severe. Like the pain causes you to pass out. It causes you to barf. You can't go to work. So you go to your doctor. You tell your doctor everything that's happening and you tell your doctor, I notice the pain comes around this time of the month. It lasts for this long. It's extremely painful, blah, 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 blah. And the doctor tells you that nothing's wrong with you. This is the experience that many women encounter during their endometriosis journey. They go to the doctor. They have a laundry list of symptoms. They know when approximately things that trigger these symptoms, a time of month, and they're told that nothing's wrong and this is normal. Whalen 2002 conducted an anonymous survey regarding physician perspectives on endometriosis and women reaching out and outlining um, that they may have endometriosis were described as nervous, irrational, and hypochondriacs for normal female functioning. Wow. This discourse shows how many physicians do not believe in the legitimacy of this condition, thereby preventing and prolonging diagnosis. A commonly known and commonly cited and respected study in the field of gynecology and endometriosis is by Ruth Hatfield and her colleagues, and they found that the average diagnostic delay of endometriosis in the United Kingdom is 7.96 years and 11.73 years in the United States. Now, the literature attributes this delay to very different factors. From papers with a biological perspective, this delay is a result of poor observational evidence of ailments or disease. Ultrasound, MRI, and laparoscopy cannot be used to identify endometriosis 100% of the time. As they've been accepted by physicians as both sensitive enough, specific enough, and accurate enough to identify disease, however, it's been shown that endometriosis will not show up using these techniques until the later stages of disease, when the ectopic endometrium tends to cause visible adhesions or visible scar tissue. But this can be going on for a lot longer than what these imaging techniques are able to pick up on. Unfortunately, the best way to identify endometriosis right now is by surgery. We think we can detect it using these imaging techniques, but we are not always successful in detecting it 100% of the time. From papers with a psychological perspective, they attribute the diagnostic delay to be a factor related to shame, fear, and embarrassment for speaking out about intimate or private subjects. After all, you are going to your doctor speaking about pooping, peeing, sex, and menstruation, which are all taboo topics that we are told to sort of keep private from the time that we are little children. How can we expect women to feel comfortable talking about these things when women still try to hide the fact that they're buying tampons at the grocery store? 
From papers with a sociological perspective, this diagnostic delay has been related to lack of research and understanding, as well as the systemic assignment of women acting hysterical around the time of menstruation. Studies have found that doctors often trivialize or normalize women's complaints of pain and attribute them to non-pathological findings. Irving Goffman would describe this as stigma, which deeply discredits the lived experience of the person. Each time a doctor normalizes symptoms of endometriosis, they, con they contribute to the stigma and discourse that feminine pain and suffering is a normal part of the human experience. Each time a doctor tells a woman experiencing severe pain during sex to use more lube, they delegitimize the severity of pain experienced by the woman. Each time a doctor tells a woman experiencing nauseating pain during defecation to eat more fiber, they ignore the indications of possible pathology and essentially use a blame the victim mentality. Each time a doctor tells a woman experiencing painful urination to drink cranberry juice and make sure to pee after sex, they instill a sense of helplessness and lack of support by which the women need to seek answers for themselves. Narrative analyses show that women often turn to the internet to seek answers and validation regarding their symptoms prior to diagnosis. They then become their own experts and their own advocates and demand testing and imaging in order to obtain a diagnosis, in order to obtain an answer. Several women have described that they needed to become their own experts in the topic and then propose their learned knowledge to actual medical professionals and experts. This occurs via online support groups by which women share their experiences with one another, help each other understand medical terminology within the research, and assist each other in finding resources and physicians that are experts and who believe that endometriosis is a thing. One of the narrative analysis I read was by a woman describing her experience, and she said that she has absolutely no understanding of medical terminology, and she underwent a surgery by which they mentioned that they found an endometriosis, but it was never really brought to her attention. Years later, she was ex experiencing some of the symptoms that we had previously discussed, and she was chatting with her brother, who is a nurse, and she said, yeah, a few years ago when I had this surgery, they mentioned endometriosis, but it like wasn't of concern. And her brother was like, what? Like They, they didn't bring that to your attention. They didn't think about looking into that. He was very well rehearsed in the topic of endometriosis. So this woman started researching a lot and going on Google Scholar and online forums and getting all the information that she could get. And she was dumbfounded to find that all of the things that she was experiencing were could be possibly attributed to this endometriosis. Since her brother was a nurse, she called him constantly to help her understand the medical jargon and terminology within these research papers. Then once she became an expert in her own body and in the topic of endometriosis, she finally went back to a doctor and sort of presented her findings to them and demanded help. This is crazy to me. It's crazy to me that women have to go to such extremes to figure out what's going on in their bodies when our medical professionals are supposed to know these things. And don't get me wrong, we have phenomenal healthcare professionals in Canada, and it's not their fault. It's the systems that are failing them. As mentioned, a lot of women join online support groups um, via Facebook or Instagram by which they all sort of share their experiences and what's going on with them. And they help each other understand the medical terminology and things like that. Lynn Hankinson Nelson is a feminist philosopher that studied the idea of epistemological communities. Now, I bet you're wondering, B, what the heck is that? And Lynn proposes that an epistemological community is a community of people who share bodies of knowledge with each other to guide standards and practices for those outside of their community. They are essentially trailblazers that come together, make their own discoveries, 
demand their own damn resources and research and sort of acceptance. They demand acceptance of their condition. Several women belong to these epistemological communities, like I said, on platforms like Instagram and Facebook, where they can discuss, support each other, and look for new avenues of both validation and advocacy. It's very comforting when you have a condition like endometriosis and you're told for so long that nothing is wrong with you. And then you find a community of people who are experiencing the same thing as you. They make you feel less crazy. They make you feel less irrational. They make you feel less like a hypochondriac. It's a very good feeling to feel validated by others and know that there are other people out there who are going through the same thing that you are going through. So that's where these epistemological communities can be very effective. Another thing that Lynn proposed is that our decision about what to include in research, in medicine, in education, in all of these things, our decision about what to include and what to leave out depends on our involvement in these epistemological communities. So this can sort of partially explain why endometriosis has been left out of the medical question for so long. If you think about it, There was a time when women were not allowed to attend university. The majority of our doctors are male, historically. So men don't belong to these epistemological communities, thereby their decisions about what to include in medicine and what to leave out of medicine depends on the epistemological communities that they personally are involved in. Does that sort of make sense? So our physicians have been male, meaning they are going to include more common things that they personally have experienced within the communities that they personally are involved in. Therefore, endometriosis is left out of teaching, research, and practice until recently when we had more women involved in the medical decision-making process. So let's talk about treatment. Endometriosis does not currently have a known cure. There are many pharmacological treatments that don't necessarily treat the condition, but rather focus on symptom management to improve quality of life. As you can imagine, being in severe debilitating pain once a, once a month or every time you urinate, or every time you go poo, or every time you have sex, that can really take a toll on your quality of life. That can really take a a toll on your mind, um, on your body, on the way that uh, on the way that you carry stress. So a lot of these sort of pharmacological treatments focus on reducing the amount of pain and managing the symptoms thereby with hopes to improve quality of life. Some researchers have have shown that endometriosis exhibits some indications of being an inflammatory disease, thereby administration of anti-inflammatories may help the condition. But some women don't respond to anti-inflammatories. Some women don't respond to painkillers. Some women don't respond to hormone therapy. There are a million different pills and potions out there that we think may be able to help people with endometriosis, but a lot of it is trial and error and figuring out what works for each specific individual patient because the condition is so individualized. Surgery is currently considered best practice for treatment of endometriosis, and these surgeries typically involve removing the tissue with ectopic growth with ectopic growths, which sometimes result in the removal of an ovary, partial hysterectomy, full hysterectomy, and other extremely complex surgeries. Think about the amount of things that live in your pelvic floor once again. The colon, urethra, large intestine, bladder, bowels, vagina, uterus, and more. These are sites of possible growths and possible removal as well. The thing with endometriosis surgeries is that they require very fine-tuned skill 
in order to not disrupt other organs in that area. For example, one of the narratives that I encountered, um, a woman's uterus had fused to her bowel completely with adhesions because her endometriosis had gone unnoticed, unaccepted, and undiagnosed for a very long time. By the time her uterus and her bowel were fused together with adhesions, she had to have a full hysterectomy. This means that her hopes of becoming a mom, a biological mom, were no longer possible. This means that she won't ovulate, she won't menstruate, and she will lose a large component of what several women believe to be what makes them a woman, essentially. She'll essentially undergo menopause at a much younger age, all because no one took her seriously, all because her voice was not heard at the time of 13 when she said these periods are not normal. Now, it takes a very skilled physician, a very skilled surgeon to deal with these adhesions because rupturing the the bowels is something that is very concerning during surgical procedures. The bowels are very thin and surgery around them can be very, very challenging to deal with. So it takes a lot of practice and a lot of skill to do this. And there are not many physicians and surgeons out there who can, especially in less fortunate countries with less established healthcare. Also, if you can imagine, these surgeries can be very expensive because you are requiring a specialist in countries who do not have things like we have, like OHIP. Quite honestly, the research can't seem to agree on what causes the condition, the genes that are involved, whether or not endometriosis is a progressive condition, whether or not it is metastatic. And answering these questions is imperative to determining effective treatment. How can we determine effective treatment if we don't really know what's going on? That question doesn't resonate well with me. Lastly, the literature seems to agree on one thing, which I briefly touched touched upon a few minutes ago, and that is that endometriosis can have very negative implications for a person's quality of life and mental health. There is extensive research that supports that women with endometriosis are much more likely to experience depression, anxiety, and social withdrawal. As most... As with most chronic diseases, it's extremely challenging to be at war with your own body and even more challenging to undergo test after test after test only to be told that everything is normal. Imagine going from one physician to another specialist in a different city to another specialist in another city and constantly coming up with zero answers. This can be extremely challenging and take a severe toll on your mental health. Also, as mentioned, and from what I gathered from some of the narratives that I read, which will be included in the show notes, being bedridden for a week is very hard to tackle in terms of your mental health. Being in severe chronic pain is very difficult to deal with and can cause a sense of helplessness and isolation. And also not having anyone truly understand what you're going through, not having anyone take you seriously, having people saying that you're too sensitive, that you need to suck it up, that it's just a normal period, it's a normal part of being a woman. That would be so challenging. Many women struggle in the workplace by which sick days due to endometriosis lead to termination of employment. Some women are seen as being flaky or are not taken seriously for their sick days. Sometimes they are thought to be lying and just calling in for various reasons. And if you can't tell your boss, if you're not comfortable telling your boss that you're having a sick day because of your period, what do you do? 
How are you supposed to tell your boss if you're not really that close with them that you need time off work because of your period or don't schedule me too much during my period? My periods are very debilitating. Many women struggle with this because there is such a lack of understanding regarding the severity of the condition. And this is prevalent among both genders. I don't want to sit here and just say that men have biases about endometriosis because women do too. We can't really understand the nature of a condition or the severity of the pain. Pain is subjective. Everything is is so subjective to what's happening in your body and what you personally have experienced. So there are women as well who don't necessarily take endometriosis seriously. They don't think that missing work because of your period is a viable excuse because everyone gets a period and 50% of the population has a period and blah, blah, blah. I think that we really need to pay attention to the severe psychological implications that endometriosis can have. A lot of studies that I found on dyspareunia or painful sex really shocked me because a lot of them focused on how painful sex affected the person's sexual partner. Now, I understand that not being able to enjoy sex with your partner could have negative implications and could negatively affect your relationship. But do I think we need to be focused on how the partner is dealing with the painful sex? Do we need to be dedicating and devoting large amounts of research to how the partner deals with endometriosis? I don't think so. I think if we took all that information and all that energy and put it towards correctly identifying risk factors, treatments, causes, and different comorbidities, then we may be able to address endometriosis. I just found it shocking that there's so much research focused on how endometriosis affects the partner that it just, it really surprised me, honestly. It That's the only way I can describe it is that I was really surprised. So endometriosis can cause a lot of stress in one's relationship, can cause a lot of stress in your sense of self. For example, if your goal in life was to become a mom and have children and you have cysts on your ovaries, your ovaries are removed, you have a complete hysterectomy, and your chances of being a biological mother have been swept out from under your feet. That can really affect your sense of self and your self-concept. Also, just to feel like something is wrong with you and to be trapped in your own body and know that there is an ailment with your body can really deteriorate your self-confidence. Psychological implications of endometriosis should not go unnoticed, ignored, or untreated. At the time of diagnosis of endometriosis, it should also be the time of referral to a psychologist, psychotherapist, or some type of counseling to help women through this extremely difficult diagnosis. And also, because there is such a delay in diagnosis, it is also likely that these psychological ailments have been going on for many years as well prior to diagnosis. We need to care about the psychological aspects of disease, the lived experience of disease more, or let's even say equally as much as the biological implications. So, as you can see, the diagnosis and symptoms and treatment of endometriosis is highly subjective and have many different factors that contribute to it. And now that you and I and all the other gals in the empire are informed and educated somewhat, (laughs) just sort of scraping the surface of endometriosis, How can we apply this knowledge in a way that is useful for people? In fact, all of this is essentially useless if we don't do anything with it, right? The first step is education. 
we need to educate people about the severity, complexity, and legitimacy. Underline bold exclamation mark legitimacy of the condition. We need more women and more people to be aware of the condition so early detection and early intervention can occur. As mentioned, we think there may be a progressive component of endometriosis. The literature can't agree on it. But we think if we can catch it early, intervention might be able to occur. By educating people in the subject of endometriosis, we increase the likeliness of it being accepted and accredited as a real and serious condition, thereby increasing the chances of clinical and observational trials to occur. By educating people, we hope that we will drive more attention to the issue, more traction, and catch the attention of those capable of doing research. Maybe we can attract the attention of our governments to put it into our educational systems. Maybe we can attract the attention of pharmacological companies to fund research. Maybe we can attract the attention of the exercises medicine movement and see if exercise can act as medicine in the progression or preventing the progression of endometriosis. Education is paramount for increasing understanding, detection, diagnosis, and acceptance. How can you and I and everyone else in the empire possibly educate people about endometriosis? It can be simple. Chat with your friends, your daughters, your cousins, your coworkers, your classmates. Let them know about what you learned about here in the podcast today and engage in a conversation regarding it. By engaging in casual conversations regarding feminine health and feminine ailments, we reduce the stigma or embarrassment or hush-hush mentality and nature regarding periods and sex and hormones. We can sort of make these more casual things that just sort of come up in natural conversations so that they're not kept inside and internalized and suppressed and ignored. Something you can do is reach out to the Minister of Education in your province, in your state or country, and educate the minister about endometriosis. Send them some research papers that I have linked in the show notes. Let them know what you've learned and question them about their decision to leave endometriosis education out of sexual education at both the elementary and high school levels. Our ministers of health, our ministers of education, they are here to serve the public. So you're always welcome to write them a letter and send it and know that someone will actually be reading it. One voice, like mine, saying one thing to a body of people is not as powerful as a body of people saying one thing as one voice. So reach out to these people. And most importantly, and the theme that I wanted to go with for this episode was... We need to demolish delegitimizing discourse. And I mean this. We need to confront physicians and healthcare professionals that deem the experiences of you or your family members or your friends as normal. When it comes to endometriosis, women have to be their own advocates and demand imaging and tests, but it shouldn't be this way. It doesn't need to be this way, but that is the nature of what we are experiencing right now. So if we inform women, if we educate women, and if we demolish delegitimizing discourse, we can possibly increase the likeliness of detection and treatment for women. If someone isn't going to take your health seriously, you have to make them. You have to educate yourself, educate your friends, and become your own expert. Our systems are failing our healthcare professionals. So help them. 
Help them help you. When people use delegitimizing discourse around you, like, it's just your period, hysterical, irrational, she's PMSing, she's dramatic, hypochondriac, this is just part of being a woman, shut it down. Stop that discourse in its tracks and know that someone somewhere will thank you for it. Engage in effective communication with your employers about why a period day is a viable excuse for missing work. Say, after we are back at work and not quarantine anymore, say uh, you go to your employer and you say, hey, on the weekend, I learned about endometriosis and I just wanted to let you know that there may be women within our establishment who have endometriosis and I wanted to know if we could add having a period day as a viable excuse for having a sick day so that we can sort of demolish the delegitimization discourse within our establishment. That could be something really effective that you could do. It may be an uncomfortable conversation to have because you're going to be talking to your employer about periods, but someone somewhere will thank you for it. When we demolish delegitimizing discourse, we stand in solidarity with thousands of women around the world who are fighting to be taken seriously. So, I want all of you in the empire to tell one person that you know about what you learned today. If you have your phone, send a text to a friend. Send a text to your mom. Send a text to your cousin and say, hey, I learned about endometriosis today. Do you know what it is? Male, female alike. It's important for all genders to understand this condition so we can accept it. And next, I want everyone in the empire to put up a post on your Instagram story to show your support for Endometriosis Awareness Month with the hashtag CBLXBEE so I can see it. When we put up these posts showing that we are talking about Endometriosis Awareness Month, you may not even know the amount of people that are following you, whether they be friends, family, or complete strangers that may have endometriosis. And just putting up that post Showing that you know what it is and showing that you care about it might be able to help someone through a difficult, a difficult time. So I ask that you spread the message, share the knowledge, and build the empire. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. I know it was dramatic, but I think it's really important that we have these conversations. Thank you for listening to me talk about endometriosis. And as always, the references are in the show notes. I will see you guys in the next episode of Bee's Estrogen Empire. Take care. Lots of love.